forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast. I'm here as usual with Doc Royer. Doc, you want to say hi? Yeah, it's good to be with you, Greg. I'm excited about today's podcast. Oh, I know. Now, Doc, you're down in Jacksonville now, and uh, we have a real special guest who's uh, calling in today. I think uh, he's calling in from Florida, but he... Most people know, don't know him from Florida. They know him from Minnesota because we have the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, entered the league in 2012, 10 years in the NFL, and we are so excited to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Kirk. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's an honor to be, to be with you. Kirk, you and Dr. Royer have a long history, and we're going to explore that in this episode today and some of the things that have helped you to achieve what you've achieved uh, using some of the technologies and methodologies that uh, Doc has developed. But I want to start off by sort of throwing this out. You know, you have a pretty unique job. Uh, in fact, it's a job that only what, at any given time, 32 people on this planet can do. And so w- what does it take to become capable and prepared for this kind of a role? Uh, it, it, it is pretty unique. Yes, uh, and I don't even know that when I was a fan of football growing up that I understood just what it does take for a pro quarterback to do his job at a high level. Uh, now living it, uh, it takes far more than I ever realized. But um, I'm living a dream, and it's a real privilege to be in the position I'm in. And I'd like to do it for as long as my body will, and mind will allow me to. But um, it sure does take a whole lot. And Dr. Royer has been a big part of that journey for me, of helping me going back to my college days, uh, better understand what it would take and how to maximize uh, my abilities so that I could, in a very competitive environment, uh, be able to excel. And, uh, and my relationship with, with Dr. Royer and what he's taught me has made a, a very meaningful difference uh, to help me reach the highest levels of competition in pro football. How did the two of you meet? How did how that come to come about? And uh, what did you start working on together? Well, by the nature of what Doc does, uh, he does need to educate people. And so he was doing one of many, you know, seminars where he had an opportunity to kind of share his work in, in uh, neuroscience and how it can improve people's lives. And my dad happened to be uh, in the audience and heard him speak. And while my dad thought it would help him, certainly, he really came away saying, my my son, who's a quarterback, I think this is just right down Main Street for what he needs and what would help him unlock, you know, that next level of his ability. And this was my uh, senior year of college. And, and so uh, my dad was able to make the connection. My dad was wise enough, you know, to see the benefits there. And connected us, and and Dr. Royer happened to have an office not far from where I was playing college football in, in East Lansing, Lansing, Michigan, and uh, we were able to meet semi regularly throughout my senior football season. And um, um, I remember after working with him for the latter two thirds of my football season rather diligently, 
my offensive coordinator and play caller uh, for our team going into our last game of the year was taking stock of the season and looking back. And he said, you know, Kirk, it was about a third of the way into the season when your play just took off and you never looked back. And the last two thirds of this season, you played by far the best football you've ever played at Michigan State. And I was doing the math and made the connection that I was right when I started working with Dr. Royer. And so I kind of tucked that note away. And to this day, I continue to see a correlation between the work that I've done with him and the, and the times where I've been more diligent with it. And then a correlation to playing at my highest levels. And uh, I finally made that concrete connection over many times uh, a couple, couple of years ago where I then said, you know what, I'm no longer going to be um, ha- having these seasons of life where I'm less diligent. I'm just going to always be diligent to make sure that correlation always exists. And so uh, uh, that's really helped me in, in many ways. Well, hey, hey, Doc, what was it like when you first met Kirk? I mean, what did you see in him? Uh, what potential did you see in him in terms of what he could achieve? And were the area, what were the areas that, you know, you identified that he needed to work on? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't, I can't say that I, I saw where we would be today or where he would be today, which is, um, you know, really way beyond probably any expectation. I just wanted him to kind of succeed in the moment with what he was working with and kind of stay, take one step at a time. And I think Kirk will speak to many times. Uh, we would have those conversations where the cart would get way, way ahead of the horse. And whether it was him or me, we would say, you know, hey, let's just deal with today. You know, like, what is it we've got today? Because we don't know through all the ups and downs of things that happen. But um, some of the things that stuck out when I first met Kirk was um, I remember giving him an assignment when he came in. We were two weeks out from him playing Ohio State, uh, down at Ohio State. And he's, I don't know exactly what the comment was, but it's something like, hey, can you fix me in two weeks or something like that? Yes. I'm like, I'm like, well, I, you're, you're pretty, you're already good as you are, but I don't know what I can do in two weeks. Um, but, um, you know, he, there was a, a rocky start and kind of, you know, just a little, some tension and some different things. And I was like, you know, I don't know what we can do in two, but let's try to work on your breathing and your heart rate variability and coherence of your heart. Um, and I remember giving him this assignment and I'm like, he's not going to do this, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, it was, um, you know, I want you to breathe three times a week, three times a day for five minutes and uh, we'll, we'll connect in like seven days. And um, I remember looking at the equipment and I could not believe how many times he had trained. It was way beyond three. It was like five or six a day. and um, I'm like, oh, this is a different character here. This isn't just somebody who, you know, they talk about wanting to be better. This guy is literally preparing to be better and is going beyond what the expectation. So that for me was really encouraging from the outside. And whether that had been football or anything else, I think that's just part of Kirk's personality is um, when he's in, he is in and um, dialed in really strong. And that's, that's a big piece of success for anybody, but uh, particularly Kirk, watching him always follow through beyond even what he's expected to do is pretty amazing. Wow. 
so this must have been what, what 11, 12 years ago, uh, Kurt? You're seeing yeah, this year? was 2011. This yeah. was the fall of 2011. Sure. And, uh, now we're in 2023. So sure. Um, yeah. It's been it's been a good good sample side now to be able to look back on and take stock of. Well, now thinking about yeah. that though, right? So if there's one thing that even us just casual fans or maybe really less than casual yeah. fans in the NFL know is that longevity and resilience is the name of the game in the NFL. Uh, and you have had an incredible longevity and resilience. I mean, how many players came out in that draft that are, you know, not playing today and here you are playing at the top, you know, at the highest possible levels. So what would you say has contributed that kind of resilience? And I, and I imagine that it, it's not just physical resilience was sort of obvious, but also sort of mental and emotional resilience for all the kinds of pressures and stresses that, that uh, your career in the NFL uh, must have brought you. What, what, what do you do to work on that resilience and, and has Inner Armor or Dr. Royer, has any of this, you know, been useful to that? Certainly, I think that um, it's been unique, uh, the ability to, to play week after week, year after year, now I've I've been a starting quarterback for eight seasons, and I look back, and there just haven't been many quarterbacks who have done that. And and um, there's certainly good fortune. There's certainly you know people praying for me for protection. And but I do think that um, the ability to understand that you know we 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 there's such a thing as pushing yourself too hard and too fast, and there's it's important to understand to pace your system and to come down from that redlining feeling that you have as a starting quarterback. You can't live at that all the time. And I think when I met Dr. Breuer as a senior in college, I've been living at that for several years as a starting quarterback of a major college university, college uh, school. So for me, it was, um, you know, learning to, to get to that sympathetic state when you need it, but then to go to a parasympathetic state when you, when you need that. And, um, and sort of, you know, learning to relax, learning to pace yourself, learning to breathe correctly and to, to really see that rest is just as important as the, the moments of stress and the moments that you think are what are defining. And I think that ability to pace myself and to learn to have those ups and then to come back down in a healthy way to then go back up. I had never been taught, never learned. No one ever talks about that. You really just think you're just supposed to redline all the time and bring it all the time. And if you do that, that, that leads to something called burnout that I think most of us are familiar with. So the fact that I can now look back after these 12 years and say that, you know, has it been a stressful journey? Absolutely. Have there been challenges? Yes. But that burnout feeling, I'm 34 and I tell you, I feel better, healthier, more capable at 34 than I did at 24. Mm-hmm. And and with the approach I'm taking, I'd like to be able to say it's 44, you know, that I feel better. And so that's where I'm working towards. And I think where Dr. Royer's uh, experience, his counsel, his uh, techniques uh, have have really made me really made a meaningful difference. <clears throat> yeah, Kurt, um, can you think of like mentally? Uh, you know, I go back to those first few years where we we're just processing a lot of different things you know, mentally, stress-wise. Um, can you think of like any examples of things that have changed in kind of how you see things or respond to things that feeds into that resilience? Or maybe on the flip side, was making the resilience harder early on? Sure. Well, I think it's, it's um, 
you know, certainly in some of our sessions where we would just talk and I'd be able to kind of unload what I'm processing, you'd kind of help me better organize it and, and put it in the right perspective. You would often say, you know, whatever the challenge is in front of you that a part of you wants to avoid or would wish wasn't there or would love to complain about, whatever that is, let's acknowledge it for what it is. And you would often say, like, let's put it on the shelf and like identify it as such and not make it more than it is, but just understand it's, it's a entity. And then also you'd say, um, you know, when you, when you call it what it is, you, you still have to go through with it. Like it's, you're just going to get back on the horse and you got to keep going. And I think that, uh, message of getting back on the horse and keep going, it was one that I think ties very directly with resiliency that doesn't have to be easy. You know, people think that, well, yeah. if, if, if I'm resilient, it's because I want to run to the challenge. And many times you gave me permission that it's okay to not want to run to that challenge. That's okay. But you're going to run to the challenge. You're going to do it. And, um, and that's also okay that if you, if you have questions, you, and you may not feel all for it. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, that you should walk away. And so that ability to kind of encourage me to lean in rather than lean out and to understand that those doubts or those fears are natural, um, sort of gave me permission to feel okay with what I was processing. Yeah. I remember we, you, do you remember when we always used to talk about riding the elevator or, yes. or get, you got to get yeah. back on the elevator. Yeah. And we we would use this example of like, you know, people that are scared of elevators, you know, if they don't get on the elevator, they're going to use their, the steps, the stairs, the rest of their life. And you had some particular things uh, that were creating anxiety or stress. And we were like, man, we got to get on the elevator. We just got to ride the elevator, not avoid that experience. But when it comes, embrace it. Because the more we ride the elevator, um, the more it becomes normal, right? Yes. And uh, you remember those things and we, we'd kind of identified those. And it's so interesting to watch you like this last year um, take on some of those challenges that um, that in the earlier were maybe wanting to be avoided that you just like, they probably still create stress, but you've mastered them. I mean, it, it is just crazy to watch you master the end of the game um, and yeah. think, wow, that started with just like those first couple trips up the elevator. Yeah, so down. Now, I think in earlier years, uh, I didn't have the same command and... Uh, and I do think that when, when you are willing to just keep going back into the fire, you give yourself more at bat to just keep getting better, keep getting more confident and, um, and give yourself the grace to fail time and time yeah. because that's going to happen. But when you do that, you look back and you say, man, the fact that I just kept getting back on the elevator is largely why I'm where I am. It was no secret. It was no formula. It was no one day. It was just a consistent approach of being willing to step back into something that maybe you uh, at times worried about or, or wondered was it worth it. And when you just keep going back to the fire and keep stepping in, you look back after time and say, wow, look where we've gone. Yeah, very cool. Let's talk a little bit about preparation. Uh, you know, we've recently done some episodes on professional golf and elite golf and all the work that Doc has done and is doing in that field. And one of the principles that he brought up is as soon as, you know, you, you make the shot, as soon as you hit the ball, you're already preparing for the next shot. It might be 10 minutes or 20 minutes away, but you, you shift into preparation mode. So when you come out of a game or you come out of a, a stressful moment, Kirk, 
what are the things that you have to do to prepare, um, to, you know, to play again or to perform at your potential and to win, right? I mean, there must be this cycle, right, of execute, yeah. recover, perform. Can you talk through yeah. what that, the, and I don't think most people have any idea just how complex the preparation that an NFL quarterback uh, m- must, must, you know, have, have to do uh, in all aspects of your, of your role. Right. Well, for me, routine is a great comfort. So I love, you know, the Sunday to Sunday schedule and being able to stick to a routine where I know at 4 p.m. on a Friday what I'm going to be doing because I penciled it all in week to week and it just works like clockwork. So uh, I think it's important after a game to come down from that. And so breathing, regulated breathing is a great way for me to, you know, come down and kind of tell my body, okay, you're no longer in fight or flight. You now need to, you know, relax, recover, go to sleep, get a good night of sleep. Cause that can be a challenge for me, win or lose after a game. I'm going to replay all the thoughts in my head, the game. And as a result, it's hard for my body to stay asleep or to get to sleep. Um, and that's so important that I have your game to get that recovery. So, you know, teaching your body to come back down. And then, um, you know, Monday is a combination of body work, football, uh, review from the game and then, um, family time and, really starting our preparation for the next opponent. Tuesday becomes my my off day. And so I truly take Tuesday off. I would guess that most NFL quarterbacks do not do that. I'm kind of unique in that aspect. I think that it's important for me to push really, really hard for six days and then to always have built in that 24-hour window where I rest. So that's a priority of mine that I've always had. And I think it's served me well over my career and I'll continue to do it. But Tuesday becomes that day. And then uh, Wednesday... It really begins our work week and it's a long day. Thursday's also a long day and that's where the, the, the beat of the preparation of, for our opponent goes in. Um, but with that, I also make sure that morning, you know, night, that there's important regulated breathing and, and you know, my, my mattress will, will track my sleep and, and let me know what my HRV was as I slept. And so there's a lot of data I'm trying to gather throughout the week to see how my body is feeling and recovering. And then I can kind of use that data to know where I'm at and, and if I have what I need for the next game. I would imagine there's also an annual preparation schedule, right? I mean, you're talking about sort of the weekly rhythm, but there must be an annual rhythm too as well. I mean, you're right now in the off season. So what kind of things go yes. into sort of the annual uh, preparation cycle for an NFL quarterback? Well, one of the pieces that I've learned about trying to have success at a high level like pro football is that rhythms and routines become a great uh, practice to, to have. And, uh, uh, during the season, that's a weekly routine that you exercise to a daily routine that you exercise, which is important. But then there's, like you said, an, a, a yearly routine of where, you know, in July, this is how I spent July. This is how I spent February. And in March, this is always the important things to make sure that get done in March. And so certainly the off season times, which is a great blessing to be able to get away and catch your breath, change your scenery and, and change the demands placed on you. But with that, you lose the routine and structure of the football season. And so it's very important that in that lack of routine and structure, you don't either A, you know, miss out on making the time productive, but also that you don't jam it so full with things that are really not the most important things to be doing. And so Mm -hmm. that's another thing Dr. Roy and I have talked through over over the years is, you know, what does the in-season routine look like? But what does the off-season routine look like? And what's the best way? To, to invest that time and to spend that time 
And sometimes the best way to spend it is to just sit on a beach and read a book. And I think Dr. Ayers gives me permission to do that more than anybody else, which has really helped me. But also saying, hey, what are some creative, strategic ways that we can be cutting edge moving forward and how we use that time as well to better ourselves as a player and a person. And, and so we've tried to use the time in that way as well. Yeah, I, I mean, watching you do that and develop those routines, I mean, um, I would say one of the most difficult things for any pro athlete or somebody who starts to enter this arena that everybody's looking and monitoring them at all times or they're getting successful is you can get sucked into so many things so fast. And it's been very interesting to watch you, Kirk, actually become even more limited or choosy about how you're doing those things um, versus trying to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And uh, that's got to be a big factor in this inspiration. It's tough to say no to some great opportunities. Like you have to say no to some good stuff to say yes to the best stuff. And just the other night, I was invited to sit courtside at an NBA basketball game. And it's like, I'd love to do that, but that would be saying no to my family and to spend time with my boys and to get a good night of sleep. And so I'm going to have to pass. And while it breaks my heart to say no to that, I'm also saying yes to what's most important. And so I've learned through the years that, um, uh, you know, you're going to have to say no to stuff. I just didn't realize that when you're a NFL quarterback, the stuff you have to say no to is still some really good stuff. Yes, very fun stuff. I think with that one, you've, you've alluded to it a couple of times that we, we have to talk about um, our journey with sleep, our sleep, the sleep, yes. and your mindset about that. I, I, I know it's different today than it was, you know, a dozen years ago. Can you speak to that and it in its role in this whole thing, how sleep impacts it all? Yeah. So I remember Dr. Royer, when he first brought the concept of sleep to me and its importance, um, you know, I, I realized that I needed to be the best sleeper I could possibly be. And uh, many times in, in culture, you know, the message is that uh, it's a sign of strength if you can go on very little sleep. And it's a badge of honor in the football world that you can, you know, make it on very little sleep. And yet uh, we're learning now that Sleep is foundational to our success, not only as football players, but to be healthy people. And so, you know, I want to maximize my sleep and get as many hours as I can. And and in the hours I do have available, I want to get the most quality sleep. And so um, it's very important to me. And it's really Dr. Breyer that that awakened me to that reality. Uh, so I'm excited for, um, you know, again, where my career can go from here, knowing that uh, when you sleep, well, over many, many years, that starts to add up and have a compounding effect for that awareness and knowledge to apply that, uh, you know, to my patterns of how I try to take care of myself. Kirk, let's, let's talk about your eyes for a second. Um, because one of the things that Dr. Royer, uh, is, you know, foundational to his approach is, you know, visual acuity, actually sensory acuity, right? I mean, the only way that our that our brain um, can connect with the outside world, obviously, is through our senses. And it's hard to imagine a profession that puts more demand on visual acuity than an NFL quarterback uh, in terms of the, the amount of things that are moving around you and the precision for you to be able to, uh, uh, you know, perceive what's going on, execute. So 
I know that you've worked a lot with Doc on the visual piece. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of vision for an NFL quarterback? What some of the challenges are? I don't think most people really understand how complex what it is what you're seeing in real time and how fast that's happening. And can you talk a little bit about the things that you've done to strengthen your visual acuity? Yes. Uh, again, one of the many areas where Dr. Royer has been cutting edge and talking about things that no one else is talking about, you know, in addition to breathing, sleep, neural feedback, uh, I would add vision. Um, you know, I just, I think people understand it's important that your eyes can see and process, but they don't quite know then you know, how do you improve it? What do you do with it? How do we measure it and quantify it and objectively know whether it's good enough or not? And that's where Dr. Rogers brought a lot of clarity to that area. And certainly as a quarterback, I mean, your visual processing has to be the best of the best. And you have to be able to gather information so quickly and make split second decisions. And, you know, a millisecond of what your eyes can give you could be all the difference to, uh, to how quickly you process and, and then move on to the next option or the next decision. So, um, you know, I've been able to do a lot of vision training with Dr. Royer. And um, that's another thing that has really correlated with my play on the field, that when I've been diligent with those vision exercises and been able to see improvement in those areas, I tend to play better during those windows of time. And so it just is one of those great correlations. And I'm, again, just grateful that I'm these Dr. Royer that because I'd like to think that not many NFL players or NFL quarterbacks are truly aware of all these different areas where you can make yourself a better quarterback, better player. Um, you know, we're all weightlifting. We're all doing certain things that really, if you do them, you're not separating yourself. It's, it's these types of things like vision training where you can truly separate yourself. Yeah. Could you talk just for a second? I, I think it's just fascinating. I, the internet is an amazing thing. And so I, I can look up statistics on the time up from snap to release and, you know, your, your time to snap release or the average NFL time. I, I don't think most people uh, can process the fact that you're talking about something that happens in like less than three Mississippis, right? I mean, it's two and a half, <laughs> you know, seconds. By the time the average person says, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippis, it's over. And so you have to right. process so quickly. And I imagine that has to do with the visual processing, but also you know, your, your mental focus and the ability of your brain to process. What kind of things you do to sharpen uh, those tools? Yes, I mean, it's, it's anything from the vision training to the neural feedback. And I think even the breathing, I think the breathing can just sort of take away any of the cloudiness to the way you process and, and your mind works. And so... Um, to get everything firing in all cylinders mentally, uh, I think it's really a, a, a multi-factorial deal, but I do think that sleep, breathing, vision, neural feedback all plays a major role in that. And, um, you know, we've done things like even an IQ test with Dr. Royer just to get, a, you know, get more information about, hey, are there anything we're missing? Is there anything that's lacked? So it's really been this decade of information gathering to to you know, learn where we're strong, learn where we're weak, try to strengthen those weaknesses so they become less relevant and, um, and just continue to make sure that, you know, there's nothing hiding in the weeds that's going to limit my career as a football player. Yeah. I, I think that was, that's a good, a good point, Kurt, is that, yes, this is your profession. This is what you do. But as a person, uh, these different things impact you as a human 
And I think that that would, I think, bring me to a question that I want to ask about this whole idea of being present or in the moment. How do you think that's changed for you? Uh, the ability to be present and in the moment versus, you know, maybe a dozen years ago. I've always played my best when I'm truly present. And there's nothing that, you know, my mind is going to in the future that's, that's I'm worrying about uh, or, you know, applying onto the current moment. And then when you're not looking back at all and having anything in the past affect you, but to just truly be right where you are, it's amazing how simple that fact is, but also how difficult it is. Mm. And I think that's what Dr. Royer's communication with me has helped is to remind me to keep going to the present and nowhere else because it's almost like our natural default, certainly mine, is to go to anywhere but the present. <laughs> and yet, once again, my best football has always been played when I think, you know, part of the reason I had a great game was because I was just fully there. There was, there, I wasn't worried about next week. I wasn't worried about, you know, flight home and, and what I haven't be processing. I wasn't thinking about, you know, anything outside of this game in this moment. And, um, uh, and many times not even thinking outside of that play, you know, where you're not thinking about, well, what if we don't get this third down and it goes to fourth down? Oh no. And just being right there on third down in the moment. Um, it's hard to do, but it's also very simple. And when you can find that, it's a beautiful thing. Are yeah. there are there specific? I, I mean, I just imagine the distractions are you know beyond what most people can imagine. I mean, the noise, the lights, the the things that are going on around you, the things that are happening off the field. How how do you? Are there some specific t- techniques that help you sort of cope with all of those distractions? Well, I think, first of all, being aware of what are the thoughts that would be taking you out of the present and to be able to call them what they are and get away from those. And um, and I think the, the desire to be in the present is almost like it's like freeing because, you know, the worry that comes with look, thinking into the future or thinking about the past to just say, I don't, it's not healthy for me to do that. I need to just be focused on the present and I'm going to give myself permission to do that. I think that's really freeing. Um, but no, like I said, it's, it's, it's easy. And at the same time, it's difficult because it is abstract and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't happen naturally. And so, um, but I think just being made aware of it and reminding yourself of it is the first step to having it become more of a, of a habit and a pattern you can, you can benefit from. Doc, as you work with Kirk and other you know, professional athletes, elite athletes, what are the things that you specifically encourage them to do to uh, train their ability to be present? Yeah, and it is a skill. And I think you're going to, we can see in the brain and Kirk has seen us in his brain because we've looked at it so often. Um, when the brain is processing too many layers of information, the fast brainwaves take off and these high betas take over and that's when mistakes happen because we're not present. And, um, you know, Kirk has diligently worked on decreasing those underlying brainwaves that, that drive the tendency to create the uh, stressful scenarios and to be present. 
uh, as a baseline. That's very important is that these, the neurological function gets stabilized. And that's something that she's worked on a lot. And then the breathing, when you bring that oxygen in, because 90% of the brain's energy comes from that, um, if you get that coherence going, it's almost impossible to get into these stressful states because the heart is functioning with the oxygen and everything's working well. But then the, the last thing, and Kirk and I've done this a lot, is just is really connecting with our senses, you know, and and trying to override the what ifs and the what abouts with what are my five senses experiencing right now? What does the ball feel like in my hand? You know, what do I feel on my skin? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What am I tasting? And as like I said at the beginning, when I first met him as a college student, um, this guy's different. I mean, he takes it and he runs with it. It's not like, okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Great, you know. But Kurt like applies these things 12 years later at the degree to I think that really kind of brings us to kind of this last last thing that that we wanted to talk about in this episode, which was this idea of, you know, why football, Kurt? You know, you I think you went to school as a pre-med student and yeah. uh, you have a lot of talents. Uh, we've even heard you sing. And I think if anybody saw any of those uh, uh, clips on social media, right? Uh, sing recently. So, I mean, you've got these skills. Yeah, I, I'm now at a point in my journey at 34 years old. Uh, I realize I have far more football behind me than ahead of me. And so it does kind of allow you to take stock of what does football mean to you? And how do you want to appreciate these final few years that you play? And, um, you know, why, why was it football? But I look back and I go back to, you know, my, my joy and passion in life uh, was always football. I mean, recess every day at elementary school, we'd go out and play football, no matter whether it was rain, snow, whatever, we were playing football. I played all of the other sports through the years and played basketball and baseball through high school, but football was always my passion. And so the fact that it worked out for me to be able to play in college was a dream come true. And if my journey had ended right there with college, you know, getting a scholarship, that I would have thought that was still tremendous. So the fact that I got to play the way we did in college and then get drafted in the NFL, I mean, that was beyond a dream. And then to still be playing now a decade later, I'm just so grateful for where this journey has taken me. Um, I am excited for other opportunities that will present themselves when I'm done playing football. And, and certainly many of those will be because of the football career, the doors that it opened. Um, and I do in the off season, enjoy sort of trying to build my life beyond just football and see what else is out there. Um, but make no mistake, I understand that, uh, you know, God's given me a gift to throw football. He's given me a mind that can assimilate information quickly and, and do a lot of the processing processing that's required to play quarterback and I want to maximize that gift and steward it well and so um, it's really been a joy to you know just keep taking this gift as far as I can and keep trying to develop it and improve it and then God has provided people like Dr. Royer to come alongside at just the right time to speak into my development and give me resources that I needed and uh, it's a little scary to think where I would be or not be if, if I had to run Dr. Royer over a decade ago but um, so grateful that, that I have him in my corner. And um, he's just been a tremendous resource. So, Kirk, thank you for time. We're going to take a pause here and continue the conversation, which we'll carry over into another episode. And I hope our listeners will join us because in the next episode, we're going to ask you to, you know, kind of apply 
these lessons that you've learned as an elite athlete, maybe to ordinary people? You know, what can we, we're not all going to play in stadiums in front of crowds, but we all have arenas in our life where we have to perform. And what are the ways that we can learn from some of the things that you've experienced maybe and apply them in our ordinary lives? So thank you for your time. And I hope our listeners will join us uh, on the next episode for more with Kirk Cousins. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.